Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those whom have received the same kind of faith as our by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And that is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio. And we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varilla. And next to me, again this week, Steve is out. But we have TD, Tommy Daniels, uh, filling in for him. So we are super excited to have him as my co-host today. Yes, sir. Excited as always. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, before we begin, let's... uh, TD, give us a little update and some news on the ministry. So, of course, we have our ongoing weekly book and Bible studies. Um, if you want more information, just let, let us know and reach out to us. Um, I know Steve and Leanne are excited to go starting through the book of Joshua. Um, so if you guys are interested in that, that's just starting up. Let us know. Um, we just started that. Um, of course, we want to remind you of Br- um, Birmingham Theological Seminary, a cohort that's going to be partnered with them starting this September. Um, if you want more info, go to their website or just talk to us in person so you can be part of that local cohort. Um, we do have a summer reading photo contest and fundraiser. Um, let us know if you have any information about that. Um, basically, just turn a picture of your child or children reading a book and all votes will be casted with donations um, to support the ministry. Yeah, uh, thank you for that, TD. There's just a amazing and exciting things just continuing to happen here at the ministry. So please, please pray for us again. Uh, We have the Spanish conference coming up in September, which we're still a little bit off of. Man, we're we're already in uh, June. And uh, again, this year is just flying fast. So please, please make sure for our Spanish speaking community, go sign up for the Spanish conference September 11, as we have our local pastors, uh, Jonathan and Eduardo, talking about the subject of completed him in Spanish. And again, we have the book translated. So again, we are super excited for that. Again, please don't, don't, don't forget to subscribe to Apple, Android, Google, and Stitcher radio. And please visit our website at bridgemanlaredo.org. So we are super excited to have a new guest today. Today, we're going to have Matthew Harmon, uh, and we're going to be going through his new book, the God who judges and saved a theology of second Peter and Jude by crossway. So we are looking forward to having him on and uh, we're just going to be packing his book and we're super excited. Well, TD, are you ready to get this podcast started? I'm excited. All right, let's go. Matthew S. Harmon is professor of new Testament studies of grace college and theological seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana. He's the author of numerous books and commentaries and co-host of the Various and Sun-Dried podcasts. Matthew, welcome to Bridge Radio for the first time. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Well, Matthew, thank you very much for coming on. We're super excited to talk about your book, The God Who Judges and Save, A Theology of Second Peter and Jude. Uh, You have been so gracious to... Uh, come on. And as we were having some scheduling problems, so I really appreciate you coming on. But before we begin to talk about your book, Matthew, can you just please tell us a little bit about yourself to our worldwide audience and how God drew you to saving faith? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, what I would refer to as a sort of broadly traditional uh, American home. Uh, both my parents were raised in the church to some degree, but um, they themselves were not regular attenders of church, but they thought it was important for me as a young child to be in the church, probably with some sense of, well, that's where you pick up morals and learn to be a good person and that kind of thing. But I was very blessed that uh, the church that I was at had a faithful pastor, and it was through his ministry at the age of 13, that uh, he explained the gospel to me clearly, and um, he he did it in such a uh, such a clear and uh, compelling way that 
at the end of him presenting the gospel, it seemed like a complete no-brainer. And I think my exact words are something like, well, who wouldn't want to put their faith in Jesus if mm. that's true? And so um, that's really where my walk with the Lord began back in uh, May of 1987. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, um, so it's been a, uh, it's been a, a, a remarkable uh, number of years since that's happened, but uh, God grew me up through uh, my involvement in my local church there. And then one of the more significant developments in my spiritual growth was going off to college and being involved in crew at the time known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm -hmm. And I was discipled and mentored and given opportunities to do evangelism and discipleship. And that's really the means by which God called me into full-time ministry. So when I managed to complete college, I went on staff with crew and served with them for uh, about five years before going on to seminary and then pursuing my PhD and eventually ending up here at Grace, where I've taught since 2006. Oh, wow. Well, we are super excited that the Lord called you out of the out of the world and into his mm -hmm. kingdom because uh, we are we're here today and we're definitely going to be blessed on your new book. So, um, again, we're ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about uh Matthew Harmon's new book, The God Who Judges and Save, A Theology of Second Peter and Jude by Crossway. Matthew, can you tell us why you wrote this book? So uh, before I wrote this particular book, I had the privilege of writing uh, commentary on Second Peter and Jude for the ESV expository commentary series that Crossway uh, also publishes. But just by the nature of that commentary, it was um, very short. So mm. there were a lot of things that I couldn't go into greater detail in. So when uh, when Crossway approached me about the opportunity to contribute to this New Testament theology series, it was uh, something that I was very eager to do, to be able to expand upon things that I didn't have the space to uh, develop in the commentary itself. And so... Uh, I'm grateful to Brian Rosner and Thomas Schreiner, who are the series editors, extending that invitation. So when they sent me that email, it was uh, pretty much a no-brainer for me to uh, want to follow up from the commentary to be able to expand on some of these key themes. Yeah, and I think I think the great thing about your book is that um, we don't usually get books made like this that are uh, usually about you know ninety to hundred pages. And uh, just going through these books, which I think is absolutely remarkable, you know, and are, and, and, and are able to expand those uh, thoughts, I'm sure, that you wanted to address that you could in the commentary, as you just said. So we were absolutely blessed for that. So um, I think we should just maybe go through maybe some of the chapters. Again, we don't want to be sure. giving away everything because we want <laughs> our listeners to go get the book, right? We didn't just, we, right. we don't want you to just sit here and listen to the podcast and, and have it all. But um, let's start with chapter one. You start off with the word of God. Can you just tell our audience why starting there is important? Well, for both Second uh, Peter and Jude, the, the word of God is foundational to everything that they're doing. So both uh, Peter and Jude are uh, responding to difficulties in the churches that they're ministering to, and the foundation of where they start is, in fact, the Word of God. And so both of them want to go out of their way to demonstrate the sufficiency of Scripture for uh, life and godliness, and want to point their readers back to how those scriptures anticipated uh, what Jesus would do and how Jesus is the fulfillment of that. But beyond that, even as the authors are looking at how to help their readers, their their hearers perhaps is better, yeah. uh, how to understand what's happening with these false teachers that have infiltrated the church, they go right back to scripture and use examples from the Old Testament to help them better understand their current circumstances. So that, just by the way that they use Scripture, demonstrates the importance of uh, Scripture for them. And then, honestly, one of the things that I most enjoyed getting to write about in that chapter 
is that especially in Second Peter, there are at least what I would refer to as suggestive hints of seeing Scripture as both Old and New Testament. Mm. So you have indications that Peter sees the authority of the Old Testament Scriptures and sees alongside of it the writings of the apostles as having equal authority for the life and ministry of the church. And so one of the reasons I appreciate that is sometimes you'll hear critics say that, well, the idea of a New Testament canon doesn't come along until hundreds of years after the New Testament period. And I would just respond, well, you have evidence here in Second Peter already of the recognition that the writings of the apostles are on the same authoritative level as the accepted Old Testament scriptures. And that would absolutely make sense, right? Because they're getting the the word from the, our Lord and Savior himself. Mm-hmm. He is the Logos. He is the mm-hmm. word. And yeah. all they're doing is transmitting that same information that he received from them, and they're writing it down. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so why is there that tension then there with that, do you think, Matthew, that people want to just push back on that? Well, I think um, when it comes to critics of the New Testament, I think uh, what you find is people want to try to find ways around um, the authoritative status of these writings. Mm -hmm. And so um, I I think there's a lot of pressure from our sort of current culture to try to set aside some of the authoritative statements of Scripture— And this is just one of many ways that critics will say, well, really, it was the church that came along hundreds of years later and made a power play and decided, well, these specific documents are authoritative and these other ones aren't. And I think the New Testament itself undermines that view because it treats the writings of the apostles as authoritative right from the start when it comes to when they write these documents Peter and Jude and then other New Testament writers as well, like Paul, uh, expect those writings to be accepted as thus saith the Lord. Mm. I I was just thinking as you were saying that even, um, and, and I don't know if this application would apply, but I'm, I was just thinking of Acts chapter two, as we start getting towards the end of the chapter where they were the church, the early church as it's starting to form or together with, uh, in the temple, uh, in one mind, under the teachings of the apostles, yeah. uh, breaking bread together in each, each other's homes. And I was just thinking about that, that they were at that time, as we're reading in Acts, that they're under their teaching uh, yep. during that time. Uh, no, that's absolutely, I never even, I never even put that together until you just mentioned it right now as Peter was addressing those things. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I should have asked you this question before, but uh, but I know that you're dealing with in chapter two of your book, why the God who judges and saves? Why mm-hmm. that name? Well, um, I think the primary reason for choosing that title is that is what best captures the overlap of material between Second Peter and Jude. Mm. Both of these letters share a series of uh, Old Testament examples that are trying to help the reader understand what the false teachers are doing and why this shouldn't surprise them, that there's been this overarching pattern within Scripture of when God acts to save his people— that he does it through judgment, first of all, that our salvation comes through God judging his son on our behalf. And so even our salvation, in one sense, is not a rescue from being judged. It is a rescue through judgment. It's a passing through judgment. And so that sets the stage for, uh, in particular, how Peter talks about it in 2 Peter, where The idea is God is capable of, on the one hand, bringing judgment on his enemies, while at the same time saving and preserving his people. 
and that those two things are not in tension with each other, that in fact they are perfectly consistent with each other. And there's been this pattern all throughout Scripture of that happening. And then when you look at Jude, the way Jude approaches it is he starts off by reminding people of the Exodus Mm. and saying that after God, and he actually says after Jesus saved a people out of Egypt, he later judged those who did not persevere in the faith. And I, I think, you know, we live in a culture where the concept of judgment is so, um, is so taboo that the moment you start talking about the idea of God will judge people for how they live, uh, you're instantly in very controversial ground. It's, it's because we just don't realize the holiness of God. He's perfect. He's yeah. holy. He's beyond our mm-hmm. finite comprehension. And because we don't think about that enough, it's easy for us to be like, well, why would God judge us? Well, look at his yeah. holiness. Yeah. And, and if we're honest, everybody down deep wants some kind of fu- kind of final judgment mm-hmm. because we all look at we, we all can think of situations whether it's personally or even just in the world where we see someone get away with mm-hmm. unspeakable evil mm-hmm. or there's someone who gets away with a crime or some sort of abuse or something and deep in our bones we want to cry out for that's not right and that has to be set right. Mm-hmm. That person deserves to be held accountable mm-hmm. for that wicked action. Mm-hmm. And so deep down, we can't escape that. So everybody wants at some level some kind of final accounting, some kind of judgment where what is wicked and evil is punished. The problem becomes, like you said, we, we don't often recognize we deserve that judgment. Even if we've never done something that is unspeakably awful in the world's eyes, our own sin is so despicable before a holy God that we too deserve that judgment. And so then the question is, how do we stand in that judgment before a holy God? It's funny that you mentioned that we're talking about that in our systematic (laughs) theology class uh, this morning, that um, we're... Uh, we were just talking about the order salutis <laughs> and um, and that as Christians, when we see evil done, that um, that I am guilty, like my log, my log is big and I should be really looking at that other our brothers or the other person they respect because I am I am guilty before a holy God. And it's only through Christ that uh, I am saved and, and, and you're, and I'm just thinking like all the things that we see in the news and all the horrible things. And, and we're just like, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're like, Hey, like, why, why is he getting away? Nobody's, you know, and, and they're not, we know that. Um, and, and, and I'm just thinking about Romans and, and when Paul's addressing the vengeance is the, is the Lord's, you know, it's his. Yeah. Um, but I also forget that to pray for those people as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was the yeah. thing to pray, pray for those that God saves them. Cause I don't, cause I am no Amen. better. So it, that just came into my, in my head, which you'll, I have a lot of things just popping in here, Matthew, <laughs> and I'm just going to, no, that's good. <laughs> That's good. I mean, it does tie in, um, you know, not that we have to move on to the next chapter in there, but yeah. I, you know, there's a, the chapter on false teaching. Yeah, let's let's move now, on. There's a whole, uh, you know, there's a lot of, I discuss at length what uh, it looks like the false teaching was and how, uh, how both Peter and Jude try to respond to that. But I think what can get lost is um, at the end of Jude, Jude calls for believers— to not just sort of give up on people caught in false teaching, but to make every effort to sort of snatch them out of the fires of judgment that are pictured as sort of, you know, kind of lapping at their feet, that they're not all the way in yet, but they're on the verge of facing God's judgment, and that we're called to try to snatch them from the fire, that there's a there's a compassion that we need to have towards those ensnared in false teaching. And to be perfectly honest, um, I, 
if you just judge by social media, mm. <laughs> you, you see a lot of people who delight in identifying false teaching and calling it out. And there's absolutely a place for that. Yeah. But often what I see is missing is that element of compassion, yeah. of that sense of of speaking truth, but almost through tears of sadness and grief over that uh, over people who are ensnared by the by the by the false teaching and and that's something that we as Christians I think need to do a little bit better job of is not compromising the truth well but at the same time in the way that we talk about those ensnared in false teaching that we need to extend compassion and uh, plead with them not from a sense of anger and and mean spiritedness but a sense of of uh, of just mercy and wanting them to to escape the destruction they're headed for. Yeah, I don't. And, and that was what we were talking about. Do we really wish upon anybody the things are uh, are to come mm-hmm. in 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 what we see of God's judgment? Because I I think if we really think about it, and that I don't think that we want that for anybody, but God must judge uh, because he's a holy God for the mm-hmm. things that have happened. So we pray, we pray that they get snatched out of the fire. And, and yeah, it's something that I was definitely convicted about for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm glad that you addressed that too, because um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. And just, just knowing that it's a level playing field, like we've all sinned. And so if God saves me, like why would I not want him to save someone else too? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's recognizing our own unworthiness mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's, we weren't saved because we were somehow smarter than other people and mm-hmm. figured it out or anything like that. It's that, that mysterious work of the spirit to make us spiritually alive and to open our eyes to see the beauty of Christ to see the mm-hmm. ugliness of our sin and to cry out uh, to Christ for uh, for salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. So let's just get a little bit um, um, in the conversation of false teaching. You mm-hmm. start off in one of your chapters, and I'm not going to say which one because you know we know which one it is. But you say one of the constant challenges that God's people had have had to face is false teaching in one sense it can seem like there's a new variation of false false teaching that arise on a regular basis and there's another element of truth to that and satan often finds a new and innovative way to challenge the truth of god's uh, word in the effort to deceive his people um can we just talk about that and what is that looking like in 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 second peter and and in jude and and unpacking all that there yeah so um although both peter and jude are addressing uh false teaching um and there are there is some overlap there are some differences which Mm. i think can be helpful so for example um peter in second peter identifies specifically some of the uh false beliefs that the that the false teachers are propagating and in particular it seems to orient around uh, the promise of Christ's return, that they just have kind of dismissed this and, um, you know, treated it as some sort of fairy tale, uh, saying, well, since the beginning of the world, things have just kind of continued on as they always have been. And so they dismissed that. Uh, That's a big piece of of, of what the false teachers uh, that that Second Peter is addressing. Uh, Jude is not as clear about the specific content of what the false teachers are teaching, but both letters agree that fundamental to what these false teachers are doing is they are denying the Lord Jesus by failing to submit to his authority, Mm. in particular when it comes to their moral lives. That they basically... Uh, seem to have the perspective of, well, if we're saved by grace, then it doesn't matter how we live, Mm. and that we are free to indulge our sinful desires without any worry about consequence or any any sense of, well, it matters how we live. 
And if we're honest, <laughs> there's plenty of people in the church today who can take a similar perspective of, well, I'm saved by grace. And so doesn't God doesn't really care if I strive after holiness or pursue obedience because, well, it's all covered by God's grace, and we, we don't want to be legalistic about anything. And that's just a misunderstanding of the gospel. It's a misunderstanding of, um, of the nature of saving faith. And so I think these letters have some very helpful um, reminders and instruction for us as contemporary Christians about the need to pursue holiness— even as we are putting our full trust and confidence in the work of Jesus and not in our own efforts. Yeah, I, well, I, I think it's pretty amazing. I, I wanted to just read uh, Jude chap, uh, Jude, sorry, verse, uh, verse, verse fourteen to fifteen, which was stood out to me, and and I was like, wait, and and I was wondering maybe uh, if. I'm going to read it out here and maybe you can unpack this a little bit uh, as we were just dealing with. He says, but Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam also prophesied about these men saying, behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way. And all of them, and all, excuse me, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against, these are grumblers finding fault, found after their own lusts and their mouth, and speaking arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of their own benefit. Hmm. What what stood out to me was Enoch there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I was wondering if maybe you can just unpack that a little bit. Yeah. So this is. Um this is one of the kind of unique feature features of Jude mm. um, is that he quotes from what we have come to know as uh, a document called, uh, we call first Enoch. Mm. And so this was a Jewish writing uh, that stems probably from either the uh, second or first century BC. So before the time of Christ that uh, clearly Jude believes his audience is familiar with. Mm. and um, we'll recognize it. So uh, now, of course, one of the things that that raises in people's minds is, okay, so does Jude think that that's Scripture? Does he think that that's inspired Word of God? And uh, I don't think that he does. I think that uh, this is a situation that is similar to when Paul quotes secular poets. Yes. And so... When he sees something that is a true statement yes. in a non-scriptural source, he's willing to say, this is true. This is part of God's sort of uh, general revelation. It's not his, his uh, special revelation as inspired by God. But um, I think, you know, it would be like us today, um, you know, using a series of examples from Scripture to make a point. And then throwing in a quote from one of our favorite Christian authors. Yes. Uh, and saying, well, you know, John Piper or whoever you really are uh, a fan of or enjoy their writings or D.A. Carson says and then quoting them. Uh, so it, it, it would be the equivalent of that in Jude's context. And we all know that if I if I say a quote from from John Piper, I, I don't think anybody assumes that I go, oh. Well, Matt Harmon thinks that John Piper's writings are inspired just like, you know, Romans or something. Well, well no. Uh, and so based on the context, I think it's clear that uh, Jude expects his audience to recognize this as further confirmation of a true saying. And what's striking is when you look at what's actually quoted, it's language that is itself uh, quoting or alluding to or picking up language from Old Testament passages like Deuteronomy 33 and, and some other texts. So even Enoch is drawing upon language from Scripture to make his point. Wow, that was a, a great explanation of that, uh, because um, I feel like in 
I don't know. There's kind of been some just wacky things, books about Enoch written. And, oh, pe- yeah. and people have been like seeking him out. You even see it here at the book <laughs> at the bookstore. Uh, I mean, he was a real person, but they're almost mm-hmm. like searching for extra canonical books to like, I don't yeah. know, fill their life. It's just kind of this weird thing. And that's why I, I threw you a curveball in there and asking you that question in, in you. <laughs> but uh, that was just a remarkable explanation. And, and thank you for that. Um, let's move on and talk about how just God preserves his people. Um, and if we can just talk about that as you wrote your book as well in, in these chapters. Yeah. So, um, this, that, that chapter in particular, uh, God's preservation of his persevering people. Uh, I think it can be easy for us as Christians to, uh, emphasize one of those to the neglect of other, mm. of the other. Meaning we can maybe put so much emphasis on God preserving his people, which is a glorious truth, that we neglect the clear scriptural commands that we need to persevere in the faith. But we can also flip it and and do the opposite, where we might put so much emphasis on, I have to persevere in the faith, that we lose sight of the beautiful truth of God's preserving power of his people. And part of what I love about Jude's letter is he brings those two together and and weds them in such a compelling way that it's it's really quite striking. So we see it right away here in the beginning of Jude um, when he refers in verse 1, uh, he writes, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for or by Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So that's highlighting God's preserving of his people, his Mm -hmm. keeping of his people. But then you get later in the letter, and then Jude says this in uh, verse 20. He says, But you, beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So then he switches there to, this is your responsibility to keep yourself in the love of God. But then just a few verses later, as he closes the letter with this uh, benediction uh, in verse 24, He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So he moves back and forth between these glorious truths that on the one hand, God preserves his people. Hmm. We can trust him. He is going to see us through. He's going to get us home. While at the same time, Jude says, but you need to make intentional effort to keep yourself in the love of God. And that can seem like this very kind of ambiguous, well, well what does that mean? How, how do we do that? And if you look at the, at the surrounding context, he actually gives three specific ways. Uh, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus. Like, that's how we keep ourselves in the love of God. And I would stress that in the context, those are not just individual actions, those are corporate actions. Mm. Sometimes we get locked into this very individualistic mindset, Mm. and we fail to appreciate the crucial role of involvement in the church, in Christian community, in keeping us uh, walking in the love of God. That's a huge component of what Bridge Ministries is about. It's Christ, catechesis, and community. Some people think we're the local church body, but we're just a resource for local churches. And we want people to be plugged into small groups and plugged into the church body because that's where a lot of growth goes. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And I think, um, you know, obviously the, 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 the corporate worship of God's people Mm -hmm. is central, Mm -hmm. but it is also very easy for Mm -hmm. people to just show up on a Sunday morning Mm -hmm. And spend their, you know, 90 minutes or two hours or however long they're at the Sunday service. And for people not to really know them, Mm -hmm. 
to not know what's going on in people's lives. And so mm-hmm. that's where other venues, such as small groups or other uh, contexts of discipleship, are so important so that people know what's going on in our lives, both to encourage us, to correct us, to challenge us, and to come alongside and help us uh, keep ourselves in the love of God. And Bridge Ministries has been able to just point people to other believers. Like you'll have people mm-hmm. just from other churches come here and gather and do their small groups or studies or someone that's mm-hmm. new to town come in and hear about Bridge Ministries and we're able to point them to other believers. Yeah, one of the things that in Laredo that we battle here is we are uh, a minority. Mm-hmm. Um, we are reformed in our teaching, um, but we are battling the war on Catholicism here. Mm-hmm. Um Two, we have a lot of uh, prosperity, mm-hmm. word of faith, mm-hmm. churches, and uh, the, the the city itself, which is small, but uh, actually a lot bigger than than it the actual numbers say it is, mm-hmm. because we are mm-hmm. in a border town. It it it's amazing to see when people do come into truth, mm-hmm. because we see a lot of shepherds abusing their sheep in this city. Mm-hmm. I'm the guy you say what I do. And if you go against what I say, you're going to go to hell type of mm-hmm. language, which is really sad. Um, yeah. so, uh, again, we have, a uh, we have a burden for the people of Laredo, the, mm-hmm. a burden for the people in Mexico. And, and this is why we do what we do with bringing in mm-hmm. authors. Right. And, um, and, and, and be able to give books and Bible studies and, and mm-hmm. come along to churches as a, a resource center. And, and again, this is why we get excited. And, and again, I, I know I've said it before earlier in the podcast that thank you again for coming on. Um, before we start landing this plane, like I'm already looking at the time. This thing is like flying super fast here. <laughs> um, can you just point in uh, to the hope that we have as we will one day be in a new heaven, a new earth. And, mm-hmm. you know, we love, we love to talk about it and, and all these things, but can you just kind of give us an overview of that part? Yeah. So, uh, when it comes to, um, things that continue to encourage me, uh, texts of scripture or, or doctrines that are a source of constant, uh, encouragement to me, I would say the the promise of the new creation is at the top of the list. And um, Second Peter in particular uh, has a, a good bit to say about that. And um, I, I just think it is easy for us if circumstances in our lives are going well or we're comfortable that we can easily forget that this world is not our home. Mm. That one of the consistent ways that the Bible talks about God's people is that we are sojourners, we're exiles. Now that doesn't mean that we don't care about what goes on in this world, but it does mean that we don't set our final hope. It means that we don't uh, expect that we can make this current world perfect through whatever means, whether it's through evangelism, whether it's through political activism, through whatever else it might be, uh, that hope of the new creation is what ultimately keeps us grounded. And that is something, I mean, the thought of being able to see Christ face to face should be something that stirs the heart of the believer with longing, with anticipation, with excitement, and it's also, I think, one of the fuels to help us say no to ungodliness in this world. Yeah. That when when the Bible talks about eschatology, and you know, believers can easily start dividing <laughs> over eschatology. Yeah. That's one of the most common ways that believers start moving into different, you know, tribes yeah. and camps and that <laughs> sort of thing. But but what's striking is when the New Testament in particular talks about eschatology, about the study of the end times, how it all ends, it doesn't do it to satisfy our curiosity. It does us, it does that to give us hope, mm. 
And it does that to motivate us to live godly lives. That's why the New Testament talks about it. And so I think we get sidetracked if we spend too much time trying to map out all the details and argue about those. Now, there's a place for discussing it and trying to sort out what Scripture says. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that yeah, at all. Yeah. But let's not lose sight of the fact that at the end of the day, what the New Testament points us to is our hope is in the return of Jesus, and our hope is in a new creation where there's no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more death, no more effects of the curse. But what makes that place great is that Christ is there, and yeah. we will see him face to face, and none of the effects of the curse and sin will will impede our enjoyment of him and our fellow believers. And that is highly motivating, mm -hmm. both on the hope front and also on the pursuing godliness front. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Paul, I wonder if Paul was letting the church in Thessalonica that where they were just like, am I going to see my family again here? And mm -hmm. it's like, it's like, yeah, you will, but you're going to see Christ, buddy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm reminded of what Paul says in Philippians 1:23. He says, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better but then he goes on to say but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account so even paul says like hey i i want to be with my savior i want to be with my lord and so you see that urgency behind paul's life yeah, I, yeah. Need, I need to get that attitude be like you know but you know but i i, I do look forward to that day um i do mm -hmm. look forward to the day that i get to see our lord and savior i look forward to the, the day that i'm no longer battling the flesh mm. Um, yeah, and he, and he's the one who's done it all, and, mm -hmm. and 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 that's a good reminder, man. I I am just excited about your book and Matthew. Thank you for coming on. Um, that went really quick. Uh, <laughs> like that's why I love doing podcasts like this, where we just yeah. we're just like talking, and it goes so by so quick. But before we land this plane, Matthew, uh, can you do us the honor of sharing the good news, the gospel, to our worldwide audience today? Yeah, it would be my privilege. Um, I mean, the starting point is that we have a God of the universe who created us in his image to reflect him, to worship him, to enjoy him forever. And despite that great privilege, all of us have rebelled against him. It started in the garden with Adam and Eve, and we share in their rebellion, and we repeat that rebellion against a holy God uh, by the way that we think, by the way that we act, by the way that we speak, what we desire. All those sorts of things are embedded deep within us, and we cannot fix that problem on our own. We are spiritually dead apart from, uh, apart from God, but the good news of the gospel is that when we were God's enemies, God sent his son, Jesus, to live a life of perfect obedience, the life that we could never live, and to die the death that we deserved for our sin on the cross, and to be raised on the third day victorious. And what that tells us is that he conquered sin and death, our greatest enemies. And now, as a result of his life of perfect obedience, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, he is able to offer us the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And that offer extends to everyone, regardless of your background, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of where you live or where you come from or what you've been or what you've done, God offers every single person the gift of eternal life through Jesus. And all we have to do is surrender ourselves to him, to turn away from our sin, to acknowledge our sin to God because he already knows it, and to say essentially, Lord, I agree with you that I am a sinner, that I cannot rescue myself from your judgment, and I need your mercy and your forgiveness. Please 
forgive me, and I'm trusting in you that what Jesus has done is sufficient to make me right before God. And so that is the posture that he invites us to approach him with, to repent from our sins, to turn away from them, and to put our trust in Jesus. And the good news is, is that all who do that, all who put their trust in Jesus, are in fact saved through judgment, that God's judgment on their sin is poured out on Christ, and that person then experiences the very righteousness of Christ and is forgiven of all their sin and has the hope of being with Jesus in the new creation. Amen. Again, yeah, I thank you again for sharing the good news of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we go get the book, The God Who Judges and Save, A Theology of Second Peter and Jude. Uh, and this is the series on the New Testament theology, right, uh, by Crossway Publishing. Uh, Matthew, where can people find you if you want to be found? If you don't want to be found, that's okay. <laughs> but uh, if, you, if you're on social media or anything like sure. that, uh, if they had any more questions or where they can get your book, if you can just share that with our audience today. Yes. Yeah, so I am on Twitter. You can find me at Doc Harmon. That's probably the simplest way to, to find me there. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, Matthew S. Harmon. Um, and uh, when it comes to, uh, well, and also I'll mention, uh, you mentioned in the intro, I do host uh, two mm -hmm. other podcasts. Uh, one of them is called the Various and Sundry Podcast with a friend of mine named John Sloat, um, where we talk about issues related to uh, life in the church, ministry, culture, Bible, a um, little bit of sports in there because we're both big sports fans. And then the other one I host is uh, one called the Biblical Theology Briefing with my good friend Ben Glad, who's a uh, New Testament professor at Reformed Theological Seminary as well. Mm. Um, so those are venues where people can can check out stuff that I've done. Uh, when it comes to books, uh, in one sense, Amazon is the e is the easiest way to find them. But uh, I still would encourage you to uh, to check out uh, the website at Crossway. But also uh, support your local Christian bookstore. Yeah, if there is one nearby you. Yeah, we have it here um, at Bridge. <laughs> yeah, I mean there is uh, there is there's a real value in being able to go into a physical store and to look at the books and talk to people and ask for recommendations. And, and, and so um, certainly want to encourage people if there is a local Christian bookstore uh, to support that as well. Well, there you go, guys. Please go check out Matthew Harmon's podcast. Go get his book. Uh, this is a book that I also uh, realize it'd be great to do in a group setting. Mm -hmm. um, so really appreciate that. So, again, please go get the book, The God Who Judges and Save a Theology of Second Peter and Jude by Crossway Publishing. Matthew, thank you for coming on Bridge Radio today. And hopefully we can have you back on some of your other books or uh, some other topics that uh, we would like we can talk about here. We're, we're, we're always just having our, our authors come on because they they do a lot for the kingdom and we really appreciate them. Well, thanks for the opportunity today and uh, appreciate your efforts at getting the gospel out there and, and getting solid Bible teaching uh, accessible to a wide range of people, uh, not just in your local area, but uh, really around the world. Yes. Well, thank you very much. We really appreciate that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's episode with Matthew S. Harmon or Dr. Matthew S. Harmon on the God who judges and save a theology of second Peter and Jude. Tommy, what'd you think? Man, it was really good. Um, as always, I, I feel like I'm always taking notes every podcast, like I could publish a book, uh, Tommy's podcast notes and call it a <laughs> book. Um, but the fact that like there's still judgment on us as Christians, but the judgment has been placed on Christ, right? And so like you will be judged, either you're gonna come to judgment as a non-believer, or you're going to pass through judgment because God sees you as righteous because of the Son and His sinless life has been placed on your behalf and 
Christ that's judged on our behalf, right? And then just him, of course, talking about um, eternity and, and one day we're going to be with him forever. And um, reading Richard Baxter's Dying Thoughts right now, and it got me thinking of what he says. And Richard Baxter says, We shall have the full impression of God's will in heaven as face answers face in the glass or the wax to the seal or the finger of the clock to the motion within or as the echo to the voice. I shall desire and never be disappointed. I shall have as much love and joy as I wish. Man, we just don't meditate enough on being with him forever. Um, at least for me, I'm convicted about that. Yeah, no, I, I think that just even going through this book as uh, um, there was just so much richness there. Mm. And again, we can only t- we only touch the service surface. I recommend you get the book. Get it, get in a um, uh, in the study on Second Peter and Jude. There's so much there, and I, I really appreciate what Matthew was just doing and and giving us a just a, a in depth view in his book, right? And an exegetical view as well on his book on and books not to touch too often, right? Books that are not too, especially Jude. Yeah. Like, when was the last time you remember somebody talking about Jude? Yeah, it's like one of those. One of those, you know, books that we just forget. And there's so much there in yep. that just one chapter. Mm-hmm. That's it. So, again, go check it out, guys. Uh, Matthew Harmon, The God Who Judges and Saves, A Theology of Second Peter and Jude by Crossway Publishing. I do want to make a co- correction. Earlier in the intro, I said that our Spanish conference was in September. And actually, it's November 11th. So, again, it's in November, not September, and that is November 11th at the university here at TAMU, Texas International uh, uh, University. So, please, please go there and start signing up for our Spanish-speaking community. All right, please don't, and please don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And like we always like to end this show, guys, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belongs body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Till next week, guys. See you.